Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes by just using the promo code CEU when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on developing self-esteem and self-efficacy. I am your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. We're going to understand what self-esteem is and explore also what self-efficacy is, why they are important, and how to develop them. Pretty basic stuff here. Self-esteem, it's one of those things that people really have a hard time wrapping their head around because it is somewhat amorphous and ambiguous in a lot of people's minds. One definition of self-esteem is how people feel about themselves in contrast to who they think they should be as opposed to who they are. So if I think I should be a CEO, if I think I should be a you know, have all these characteristics as a person and a mother, and I don't feel like I have those characteristics, then my self-esteem will be lower. If I feel that I have the characteristics, then, you know, I'm going to be better off. The more rejecting people are of themselves, the more distress they experience. When we tell ourselves we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, and nobody's going to like me, then we're going to feel threats of failure, rejection, isolation, and loss of control because we don't feel like we are worthy of love. And that's one of the things that all of us need. We need love. And love, in many cases, Well, I won't say it starts with loving ourselves. Ideally, when we are young, we have caregivers who love us. If you think back to Maslow, remember you have biological needs, safety needs, love and belonging, and then self-esteem. Well, why does love and belonging come first? Because as children, that first attachment relationship is important to helping us develop a sense that we are lovable and we are loved, and then we can learn to love ourselves as we grow up. The more rejecting people are of themselves, the more they seek external validation or they withdraw. Some people will reach out and they will cling to any person who will tell them that they're okay and they will get into bad relationships and they are 
terrified if they're not in relationships because they're seeking that validation. They can't look in the mirror and say, I'm awesome. I'm lovable. I'm deserving. They need other people to tell them that. So they are constantly surrounding themselves with people to validate them. The other end of the spectrum is the people who just kind of throw in the towel and they say, I'm unlovable. I'm nobody's going to want to be friends with me. They're going to reject me. So I might as well just withdraw. Neither one is a healthy place to be. In order to develop healthy relationships, people need to feel good about themselves. If I am approaching somebody and I want to be their friend, you know, in the back of my mind, part of me is saying, what do I bring? Why would this person want to be my friend? And when we have a self, high self-esteem, we say, you know, because I'm all that in a bag of chips in more specific uh, explanations as, we'll, as we will get into in, in a minute. But if we don't feel like that, then we may feel apologetic. We may feel like we're bothering people. We may approach that and go, well, will you please be my friend? Because, and I don't know why, but, you know, I need... I need you, but you don't need me. And that's not a good footing to start a relationship on. And a lot of times it's not going to form healthy relationships. People need to develop healthy relationships to, uh, in, in order to develop healthy relationships, people need to be in touch with themselves and their true values. They need to understand who am I? What is it that I bring to the table? One of the activities that I do with some of my clients when I start a self-esteem group is we start talking about friends and I have them write a description of your ideal best friend or your best friend, the person that you, you know, just really love. Write down all their characteristics. Tell me all about them. And then, you know, we go through that. We talk about why those characteristics are helpful or important. And then I say, okay, now I want you to look back over your list. How many of those characteristics do you have in yourself? And a lot of times people are like, oh, okay. Our culture in many ways tells us that we shouldn't brag about ourselves or boast about ourselves, and people have a hard time differentiating between self-pride and being boastful and they have a hard time a lot of times seeing their good qualities we are our own worst critics so a lot of times clients can see all their faults but they have a hard time remembering all the good things because they minimize those remember those cognitive distortions there by doing the friendship activity it gets them outside of themselves to help them identify things that are important that, you know, they value in others. And then you can turn it around and go, oh, okay, let me now look and see if those characteristics are in you. And a lot of times they realize that they are. People need to believe that they are lovable and a worthwhile person. And, you know, the friendship activity can help some with that. But whatever activity you do, by helping people build their self-esteem, then they start to believe that they are lovable and worthwhile. They start to believe that they deserve to be treated well. They start to believe that they have something to offer, which gives them a sense of power and control. And it also starts helping them recognize that in reality, nobody is going to be liked by everybody all the time. Like those cognitive distortions there. There are some people who just aren't going to like you. But that doesn't mean you're not a good person. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That means that for whatever reason, you don't click with that person. And people with higher self-esteem have the ability to separate um, that from total rejection. Instead of seeing this 
person who doesn't want to be your friend as rejecting you and that must mean that something's wrong with you they see it as okay we're not clicking it means we're not a good fit and it is semantics but it does help people um accept rejection when it does happen and when we have a solid self-esteem and a solid awareness of who we are it's easy enough or easier to look introspectively and go i'm a good person and if that person doesn't like me or doesn't want to work with me or be my friend or whatever that's okay because i'm lovable and they're missing out <laughs> And in order to develop healthy relationships, people need to choose actions in harmony with their true selves. Instead of being the chameleon that tries to do whatever they think everybody else wants them to do, it's important to um, choose actions that are authentic and help people live in their authentic selves, regardless of whether they are with their significant other or with their children or with their boss they are being authentic and not trying to people please and and be something that they're not one thing that we can do in order to help people with self-esteem is to help them become more mindful mindfulness teaches people to live in the moment where they're not stuck in guilt or resentment of the past guilt for things that they did or resentment of other people wondering why bad things happened to them we want to help them stay in the present moment and also not be paralyzed by fear of the future if you're constantly wondering is this person going to reject me am i worthwhile am i going to do this am i capable am i this you don't have any time to think about what you're doing right now mindfulness encourages people to focus on putting one foot in front of the other noticing how they feel and accepting themselves as they are in the moment being compassionate with themselves recognizing that life is about progress not perfection rarely I won't say it won't ever happen, but rarely are we ever going to reach that pinnacle of perfection. But in life, we are awesome for who we are. And we generally, if you believe Rogers, and, you know, I tend to, we generally want to grow and, you know, work towards that self-efficacy, which is putting one foot in front of the other with authenticity. The cornerstone of mindfulness is acceptance, again, of who we are in the moment. We are not perfect, but we have a lot of really awesome qualities. And, you know, each person has their own really awesome qualities. Being non-judgmental, instead of saying, this is a good quality, this is a bad quality, this is a okay quality, they are all qualities. They make us who we are, and they add up to make us. Mindfulness is acceptance and letting things be, accepting things as they are in the moment and being patient with ourselves, being patient with the process. When we try to change, when we try to grow and enhance our self-esteem and become more like the person we want to be, it's not an overnight overnight process mindfulness teaches that when people trust themselves and act with awareness and purpose they become more self-reliant and that self-reliant that self-efficacy that belief that they can do things for themselves that belief that they can make a difference in their world that belief that they can grow to be more like the person they want to be can all be enhanced with mindfulness when we focus and we're going to talk later about uh about doing some of that but really focusing every day on 
am I using my energy to do the things that enhance the qualities that I want in myself? When we are mindless, we often ignore or invalidate how people feel, including ourselves. You know, if we feel bad, we may say we shouldn't feel bad. If we feel good, we may say we shouldn't feel good. We just, we don't pay attention a lot of times to how we're feeling and what we're doing. We often fail to integrate feelings, thoughts, sensations, and urges. So we may have a feeling and act in that emotional mind to make that feeling go away. But in reality, if we would have practiced the pause and been mindful for a moment, we would have potentially chosen other actions and reactions that are more in line with our values. Running on autopilot and not making time for the things that are important to us, whatever it is that helps us be more who we want to be, is, is a symptom of mindlessness. And mindlessness also involves blindly adopting mainstream messages of who or what we should be, which may not be in harmony with who we really want to be or may not be achievable and realistic. And one of the things I encourage people to do when they start looking at who they want to be, when they start making this laundry list of characteristics, who said? Who said you need to be this? Who said you need to be that? Who said you need to have this? Let's take a look more at some of these innate qualities. And again, it comes down a a lot of times to semantics, the difference between who you are and what you do. But we're going to look at that and just actually now. People are more than their accomplishments or their bank account. But our accomplishments do represent certain traits about us. And that's where it gets into the semantics a little bit. One of the first questions I ask people is, what do you stand for? And you can go online and download a values list or you can get values cards or however you want to do it. Give people 30, 50, 100 value words to look at and identify the ones that are most important to them. I generally try to stop people at 20. For the first round, I say, look at this and identify the 20 things that are most important and they'll go through and they'll mark things. And then we go back and I find a lot of these um, values lists have a lot of synonyms in them. So we go back and look at things that are maybe synonymous with one another to try to pare it down a little bit more. Ultimately, my goal is try to to try to help them pare their list of values, important values, down to between five and ten and know, you know, the four or five that are most important to them. Depending on the age of the people that I'm working with, if I'm working with younger people, I typically keep the numbers lower. So anyway, download a values list and circle the ones that are important. Identify for each one of those things that are left, which is another reason you want to pare it down to just, you know, under 20. Identify how you currently demonstrate those. So if one of the things that they identified was patience, well, how do you demonstrate patience on a regular basis? Uh, How do you demonstrate loyalty? How do you demonstrate creativity? How do you demonstrate, you know, it goes on. But for each one of those things, I want to know how they demonstrate that right now. That's when we're pulling on those strengths and we're saying, see, you already are embodying some of these maybe not as completely as you want to but you already are doing it some identify other ways that you could demonstrate those characteristics that you think are important to you what things do you do that go against your values and 
impatience would be one of them. A lot of us struggle. I know patience is not a virtue that I have, so it's one that I struggle with. It's one that I cherish, but I know it's one that I am, you know, a work in progress. Looking at patience is an important value for me. However, I know that sometimes I am impatient. What can I and, and I can get I can get snippy with people. What can I do today? What can I start doing today to address impatience? And encouraging people to explore um, ways that they could more embody. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but whatever. In, in, in exploring ways that they can embody those values more completely than they are right now and encouraging them to start doing something today. And that's where that efficacy and empowerment piece comes in. They don't have to read about it and, you know, think about it and have it up here in this meta concept thing. Let's start doing something. What can you do to be more patient today? For example, you know, if we're, we're, we're talking about patience, thinking when I get frustrated, I can take a cleansing breath or a belly breath or whatever they call it in order to give me a chance to think before I speak. That's an action. That's something that is demonstrable that I can start doing today to be more patient more often. The next question for people is, what things are you good at and what are your accomplishments? Now, I already said we are not, you know, our self-esteem is should be focused on who we are, not what we do. But what we do is an embodiment in many ways of the things that are important to us. If you're looking at the things that you've accomplished, those things that you've accomplished may represent success, courage, determination, creativity, compassion. You know, those are just some that I pulled out of the air that, you know, when I'm looking at people's resumes or their accomplishments list, those are the words that come to mind. They demonstrated their determination by... Uh, earning a black belt. They demonstrated their courage by beginning treatment. They, you see where we're going from here. Encouraging people to step away from what it is they did and look more at what characteristics did you have to have to make that happen. You had to have courage and creativity or whatever. Encouraging them to look at those values and or traits, whatever you want to call them, that they identified just a few minutes ago and apply those to their accomplishments. So if you think that, um, I don't know, being a CEO is an accomplishment that you're proud of, that's great. What does that represent to you? In terms of how does that embody the values that are most important? And for me, that would be courage and determination, and I could probably find some others in some of those. But it's important for people to start looking at how those um, traits that are important to them drive what they do and what's, what activities they engage in. The next question is, how would your friends describe you? And that's, again, helping them get outside of themselves to identify anything that they may not have identified so far. Maybe their friends would identify them as loyal, compassionate, caring, honest, yada, yada. And then again, ask them, well, if they describe you that way, why is that? What do you do? What actions have you taken that demonstrate that quality in, in you? What, in what ways do you behave that demonstrate loyalty um, and helping them see the uh, 
connection between their behaviors and their values. And finally, I kind of try to wrap it up. You know, if they've got 20 values, it's going to be hard to focus on all those all the time. I want them to narrow it down to the ones that are kind of most important. And three to five is good. Self-esteem acronyms are taking those values that are most important to you and making a word that they can remember. For example, think. And, you know, this is one that I've seen on um, Rotary Club. Before you speak, think. Um, Is it true? So we generally um, prize honesty. Is it helpful? You know, that's another characteristic that is a good value. Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? And so prudence would kind of go there in terms of values. And is it kind? So that would be compassion. But helping people create a mnemonic device or acronym or whatever you want to call it that helps them focus on the four to six values that are most important to them can help them bring keep it in the forefront. Some people will want to make a little bracelet that has those letters on it with little letter beads. Some people will want to do a bookmark. Other people may not, but... Uh, Again, this helps them with mindfulness because instead of going, well, what's the best choice, it focuses them and they say, okay, based on the things that are most important to me, what is the next best course of action? And I can be mindful of whether I am being honest and helpful and inspirational and prudent and compassionate. One of the things that people have difficulty doing in order to help them become mindful is slowing down and quieting that monkey mind. The constant noise in our brain, we're thinking of this, thinking of that, often keeps us from addressing the underlying issues of emotional turmoil. We stay so busy just trying to keep the the lid on the pot to keep it from boiling over that we often don't realize that, oh, we could just turn down the heat a little bit. Life becomes focused on treading water, and forward goals are exchanged for just surviving. This reduces self-efficacy. If we feel like all we're doing is treading water, we're not making any progress, we're not growing, we're not becoming the person we want to be, then we tend to feel powerless and hopeless. We want people to feel empowered and efficacious. Mindfulness and self-awareness help people quiet their thoughts because they can always come back to... Instead of going, is this something I should do? What would my mom say? What would my dad say? What would my you know, cousin say? Yeah, da, da, da. Is this something I should do? Is it in, value, in line with my values, which are you know, whatever? By making contact with the present moment, taking that breath, getting centered, getting regrounded and going, okay, you know, getting into their wise mind, people can find their strength. They can more purposefully choose how to use their energy and react in situations that are in ways that are more congruent with their goals and make better choices, which when they do that, you know, generally makes them feel better and enhances their self-esteem. They start feeling like they've got control over their emotions and their urges. Some activities people can do, they can take a deep, full breath. Remember that abdominal breathing signals the brain to slow down and relax, and sometimes it's called the rest and, rest and digest stage. Encouraging people to breathe in and breathe out. When I do it with kids, we talk about those, you know, those lawn ornaments that you turn on the fan and they blow up. Well, it's kind of like turning the fan on and off. You know, they breathe in and it's like that lawn character becoming inflated. 
And when they breathe out, it's like turning off that fan and it just deflates. And I want to have them feel that energy, you know, especially negative energy move out. Simply paying attention to breath often causes it to slow down. It's important to remember that life begins and ends with breath. And some schools of thought believe that breathing helps relax the body and move the chi or move our body energy. Well, whether you believe in chi or not, think about relaxation. When we relax, it encourages our muscles to loosen. When our muscles are looser, our blood flows a little bit better. We tend to be more able to oxygenate throughout our body, which brings, you know, oxygen theoretically energizes our, our system. Encourage people to add visual and auditory breathing and mindfulness reminders. Um, Y'all know I'm a fan of mealtime mindfulness. So at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, and ideally before bed, people do a body scan and a check-in and, you know, take a breath in order to get regrounded and figure out where am, where am I right now? What is it that I need? And what can I best do to meet those needs? Encourage people to do a body scan and pay attention to what their body is trying to tell them. Inhale and have them take in as they're breathing in, have them say to themselves positive affirmations. I find more than one to be somewhat cumbersome, but some people like to have a bunch of affirmations. Inhale. Take in those affirmations and that positive energy. Exhale, and as they exhale, they let go of stress and negative energy. They can envision stress leaving like a wave. You know, when they inhale, the wave's coming in. When they exhale, the wave's going out. When they, or when they exhale, they can envision their breath blowing a cloud through the sky or a balloon away. If you work with kids and even sometimes adults, I know I love to play with bubbles. I don't know. Um, you can use the bubble stuff, you know, like the you used to use with the bubble wands when you were a kid. You inhale that positivity and then you exhale and you blow the bubbles. And as the bubbles, you know, dissipate and pop, you know, envisioning that stress popping and dissipating. Encourage people when they're breathing. And doing their mindfulness to notice points of tension, tightness, and heaviness and help feel them relax or loosen as they exhale. I notice that I tend to keep my shoulders up here. And when I exhale, you know, the first time I kind of, you know, let my shoulders drop. And when I exhale the second time, I notice that, you know what, my shoulders still can drop a little bit more. And I can feel the difference of in the tension in my, you know, upper body. As I'm doing that again these activities encourage people to develop confidence that they can feel feelings and not have to impulsively act they can feel irritation anger resentment depression whatever it is they can sit with it it's not going to destroy them they can breathe in the positive affirmations that tell them that they can tolerate it and that they're good people and as they breathe out they can let that um, negative energy go and helps them get into their wise mind so then they can make a decision about, all right, I'm angry about this. I'm depressed about this. I'm whatever. What is the next most authentic step that I can do to help me move towards my goals? When people encourage, encounter things that get them upset, a lot of times their reactions and thoughts are um, shaded 
by their prior experiences and how they're feeling at the moment. And, you know, generally, if we're in a bad mood, we tend to see the bad things. And if we're in a good mood, we may tend to see more of the optimistic things. If people can step back and imagine themselves as an impartial witness to what happened, maybe they went up and uh, they interviewed for a job and they didn't get the job and they feel rejected and defeated. Well, what would an impartial witness say about that? What are some other reasons why they might, may not have gotten the job that may not have anything to do with them? Remind people to stop sorting what they do and how they act into good and bad. It is what it is. If I get impatient with somebody, you know, that is not who I want to be. I don't want to be an impatient person. It's a learning moment. It's a learning opportunity. It's not a good or a bad thing. It is. I was impatient. And I'm not going to get stuck on labeling it good or bad. I'm going to notice it and figure out maybe how to prevent it in the future. Encourage people to see the whole room, not just the elephant. When there's something going on, and, you know, we talk about the elephant in the room when we talk about addiction a lot, so I'll use that. That's an easy um, example to use. A lot of times we talk about just the elephant. We talk about the addiction, and this is what's going on. And it's important to see the person. It's a person with an addiction. We can identify the issue, which is the addiction, but we also want to see the whole room. What else is going into this situation? How did the elephant get into the room in the first place? You know, what caused this ele elephant to manifest? What else does the person bring with them in order to um, control the elephant? You know, you can go on with the metaphor, but encourage them to look at everything and everyone involved. People, and this is one of those soapboxes I get on early in the recovery process for a lot of people, is they are not their addiction. They are a person with an addiction. And it's important for them to realize that because the addiction, society tells us, is bad. And I don't want people saying, I'm an addict, therefore I'm bad. I want them to say, I'm a person with an addiction and I have chosen some bad behaviors However, I'm a good person who has problems. Encourage people to check the hecklers. We are our own worst enemies, but we also, unfortunately, because of the way we're wired for survival, tend to remember the critical things that people say of us and or say to us. And those things get stuck in the back of our mind. And those are the hecklers that say you'll never be good enough, you'll never measure up, you'll never this or that. Encouraging people when they start feeling defeated or like they don't belong or rejected or powerless, what are you telling yourself that is triggering those feelings? Where are those thoughts coming from? Are they coming from you or is it something from the past? And how reliable is that? And encourage people to just get away from blame. You know, it's if we want to feel guilty, if we want to blame people, there's enough blame and guilt and resentment and stuff to go around, but blaming doesn't do any good. Examining situations and identifying solutions and how to prevent it from happening again is a more productive use of our energy because blaming and shaming doesn't fix the situation. Encourage people to recognize and start to love themselves and recognize that all of our emotions in some way, are contained within our heart. When we feel angry, that makes our heart hurt. When we feel sad, when we feel happy, there's a certain amount of 
heart in everything. And we want to cultivate warm heartedness. When I feel angry, if I am warm hearted, then I'm more compassionate. If I am cold hearted, then I may be more bitter and resentful and spiteful. So we want to cultivate warm heartedness in ourselves. One activity that you can do, and I love this activity, but y'all know I like to garden, is to have people actually plant a garden, not just metaphorically, but actually plant a garden. And when they plant that garden, they've got to figure out what it is they're going to use their energy to cultivate. And every plant that they plant represents a value or a virtue or a characteristic that they want to nurture in themselves. So they're not going to have a whole lot of biodiversity. We really want to focus on those 10 or fewer characteristics, but encourage people to plant their garden. And then when they go out to tend their garden, you know, if they're tending the one that represents patience, maybe they have the flower impatience, um, you know, you can be kind of silly with it if you want to. Um, but those things, as they tend that, they can reflect on how they've been patient over the past week. Most of these gardens aren't going to get tended every day. Encouraging them to figure out you know, which things do they want to cultivate. And they're also planting, taking that back into the metaphorical state, they're planting those values in their heart and in their brain. They are planting those values of compassion and whatever it is that's important to them. Encourage them to tend and befriend those values every day, just like you would cultivate your garden. And sometimes, like I said, a lot of times it's easier if they actually plant a garden because then they have to do something that triggers them to remember to reflect. But tend and befriend those characteristics. Make sure to focus on them every day, just like when you tend a garden. You are going to check and make sure it's got plenty of water and, you know, it's not going to get too cold or, or what have you. Have people count their blessings. Focus on gratitude. That's another thing they can do. And delight for others. Encouraging them to let go of envy and jealousy and instead rejoice in others' successes. When we rejoice in others' successes, then we are spending less energy because, you know, Happiness tends to be less energy intensive than uh, any of the other things. But we are also freeing up some of our energy so we can say, okay, you know, that is really awesome that that person got that promotion or got married or had a baby or whatever it is they did. I am going to delight in their successes. And then I'm going to figure out, you know, how to use my energy to, you know, be able to delight in my own successes. Claim your emotional baggage. Our self-esteem can be just completely battered by our emotional baggage that we continue to hold on to, that relationship that didn't go well, or that time that you got fired from a job, or flunking out of school, or whatever it is, those things that you feel guilty and resentful or um, depressed about or helpless or angry, any of those dysphoric emotions, if you let it stay on the conveyor belt, then every time it comes around, it's going to influence you. And that is, and it's going to remind you of a failure, encouraging people to say, all right, let me take this off the conveyor belt and figure out what to do with it. You know, does it need to go to the lost and found? Do I need to burn it because it's got way too many bed bugs in it? What is it that I need to do with this baggage? But don't give it to somebody else. You don't want to take your guilt and, and resentment over something and give it to someone else by blaming them or shaming them into something. That's your stuff. Holding on to your stuff, figuring out what to do with it, 
and getting it off that conveyor belt. Reminding people to listen, just listen to themselves and to others to hear and understand. And we don't listen to ourselves. We are so bad a lot of times about listening to ourselves, what we need, what we want, what we would like, tuning into that inner child even. You know, my inner child every once in a while, well, actually pretty often, <laughs> likes to watch cartoons. Okay. You know, I'm 50 years old and I still watch the Flintstones, but that's okay. Encourage people to speak with compassion to themselves and others. Instead of being critical or abrasive, taking a breath and when we speak with compassion to ourselves, reminding ourselves that it's about the journey and it's about trying and it's about doing our best and remembering, and this is one of my favorite sayings, we do the best we can with the tools we have at any given moment. Now, if we look back when we do things like on those times when I'm impatient, you know, I may look back and the tools I have, you know, I was doing the best I could with the tools I had at that moment, but that moment was different than other times when I'd been patient. So I need to look and say, okay, you know, what, what was different about this moment that left me unprepared, if you will, and how can I prevent that from happening in the, in the future? Have people write a job description of what it means to be a good person, what it means to be themselves, what are their goals, what are their duties in life, and that can help them get a little bit focused more on what they can do. Encourage people to use mindfulness to increase their self-efficacy. Have them reflect daily on how they embody the values most important to them. They can do this through meditation. They can do this through journaling or filling out worksheets. Um, there are a lot of different creative ways that you can probably come up with to help people practice daily reflection. If they are doing it as a family, and I encourage family mindfulness, um, having people share at the dinner table one thing they did that was in concert with their values. So what, what was one thing you did today that was compassionate? Or you can even choose a family value like compassion or honesty and have people share how they embodied that value that day. Remember, remind people to value progress over perfection, since perfection is a very elusive thing. And develop that self-compassion. I know I've said that like six times now, but it's so important. When we are trying to build self-esteem, to really believe that we don't have to be perfect to be lovable and to be compassionate with ourselves, even when we make mistakes, because we will. And everybody makes mistakes, which is where that compassion comes in. Encourage people to use backward chaining to identify vulnerabilities which may have contributed to mindless behavior. So using myself again, if I am going through my day and somebody comes into my office and says something and I get frustrated and I snap at them, you know, then I want to stop. I want to take a moment and I want to look backwards and go, okay, what led up to that? That where in this chain of events could I have interrupted it? in order to be in a more grounded state to prevent being more mindful or more to prevent myself from being mindless. And I like that quote, Tisha. Tisha says that there's a quote from Unknown that says, show yourself the same compassion you show to others. If we did that, we would have so much less guilt and we would often feel a lot better about ourselves because we give people a lot of latitude. 
that we don't often give ourselves. Self-esteem begins in childhood. Remember, we talked earlier about a lot of times we need to be loved and have a sense of belonging when we're children in that first attachment relationship to start learning how to love ourselves and learning that we are lovable. Being aware of self, uh, oneself helps people identify their strengths and develop their me identity. All of us in this room probably have a slightly different me identity based on your strengths and your culture and what's important to you. And that's cool because that goes into, um, oh, seven ha habits of highly effective people. And I'm trying to think of his name right now. But anyway, um, he talks about synergize. You know, we don't all want to be carbon copies of one another. And everybody's me identity can complement Stephen Covey. Thank you. Everybody's me identity can complement other people's me identities. Part of self-esteem development includes values identification, really focusing on what is it that's important to me, not how much, you know, being the one with the biggest house or being the one with the, you know, fanciest car, the most um, powerful job or whatever it is. What is it that makes me a good person? Being aware of sensations, feelings, and thoughts helps people choose behaviors which are in unison or congruent with their values, it helps them support themselves through the difficult moments. When they become aware of how they're feeling and what their thoughts are, then they can address it. They can sit with it. They can use distress tolerance skills. They can do a lot of things. Being aware of sensations, feelings, and thoughts also helps us silence the critics because when we become aware of those unhelpful thoughts, we can tell those critics to shut up. And being aware of our sensations, feelings, and thoughts also helps clarify who we are and what we want. When we do things and we feel good, it's like, oh, okay, you know, maybe that's in line with what I can do or what's important to me. And when we have do things and we don't feel so good, it reminds us that, you know what, that may have felt really good in the moment, but in the big scheme of things, it's not what I want. And that goes back to getting off autopilot. There's a lot of, there are a lot of things that we do to impulsively to escape from distress when, and, and it feels good in the moment or it makes the pain stop in the moment. But in the big scheme of things, it actually doesn't help us be the person we want to be and achieve the things we want to achieve. So awareness and mindfulness helps us more effectively make choices so we don't accidentally step backwards too often. Again, we're going to make mistakes here and there, and that's okay. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.